Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you were trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to, to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officers, Why did the king issue such a harsh, harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azara. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshah, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner 
can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the, that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks, sinks to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that, the feet, the toes, were partly of baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay... So the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will in itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be pre presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods. And the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Well, if I were to say, imagine an apple, 
Can you picture, can you see a picture of an apple inside your head? All right, now I'm obsessed about this right at the moment. Like, not just can you think about an apple, but can you visualize an apple? All right, okay, so here's another test. Uh, can you take that apple and rotate it and kind of see all its different sides? Can you take that apple and put it somewhere else, like put it in outer space and see it there? Um, if you had to place yourself on this scale, here's a picture. What does that apple look like in your head? Where one is like perfect, you know, you can see a perfectly formed apple with all the bits and five is you can see absolutely nothing. Okay, everyone got that? How many people can see an apple like number one? All right, awesome. That's about right. That checks out. Most people can do this, right? Um, I won't ask who's down this end of the spectrum, right? <laughs> because if that's you, I've already freaked you out, right? I, uh, this is me. I'm a five. When I imagine an apple, I see nothing. I can't visualize a single thing. It's just completely blank. Right? I, I mean, I know what an apple is. I can describe an apple to you. I know the concept of an apple. But if you say, picture an apple, there's no apple. There, there, <laughs> there is nothing. I can't visualize in my head. Apparently, it's a thing. Some brains can't visualize. We can get rid of this now. Uh, it's, a, it's a thing. It's called aphantasia. It's the inability to, to visualize things in your mind. And I found out like two weeks ago that I have it. And I can't get over it. You people see things. When you imagine things, you actually see things in your head. I see nothing. When you think of a dog, you can visualize a dog. Like a, a dog is there. I have no picture. If I want to draw a dog, I have to put my pen on the paper and hope that the lines turn out like a dog. I got no idea. I have no image in my head. Apparently, 3% of the population uh, has aphantasia. Uh, so in a group this size, there's, um, there's me and there's two or three of you guys who also have it. And if you are a number five down the end of the spectrum, come down the front afterwards. I'm starting an aphantasia support group. <laughs> uh, we're called the Aphantasiacs. Uh, we still don't have a logo. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Daniel 2 is like that. It's a visualization. It is a picture. If you can picture things in your mind, then you've got it. You have a huge advantage. You can see what is going on here in Daniel chapter 2. Because this dream is a picture of the future. Uh, verse 28 is the key to understanding this whole chapter. It explains what's happening in this passage. Verse 28 says this But there is a God in heaven who reveals. Mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. That's what it's about. What will happen in days to come? Because when it comes to the future, we're, we all have aphantasia, right? Uh, it's blank. There's, we can't see what's going to happen. Uh, we predict things, we, we guess what's going to happen in the future, and it comes out completely different. Uh, but here in Daniel 2 is a vision for this king of what is to come. It reveals the future. God is the one who reveals mysteries. In the Bible, a mystery isn't something that's unsolvable or really particularly difficult. It's just that it's currently unknown. It's like if someone's standing behind that door, 
You know, who's standing behind that door? I don't know, it's a mystery. But as soon as we open the door, we can find it out quite easily. It just needs to be revealed. And there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, we're told. He holds the future, and so he reveals the future. And as God reveals the future here, there's three lessons for us to learn. Uh, They are the futility of paganism, the fragility of human power, and the finality of God's kingdom. They're the three things we're going to step through tonight. The futility of paganism, the fragility of human power, and the finality of God's kingdom. So firstly, the futility of paganism. uh, This account begins with the dream, and it's really distressing. King Nebuchadnezzar is just distressed by it. In ancient Babylon, uh, a dream was thought to be a message from the gods, and there was this whole dream industry around how to interpret the dreams, how to find out what God's saying through this dream, and handbooks and guides and, you know, all these dream experts. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has all these guys and he summons all his magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to solve this mystery. And they're all like, cool, tell us the dream and we will use the books, Uh, we will tell you what it means. And King Nebuchadnezzar is not having that, you know, like... As we read, read, I hope you saw that whole thing unfolding. He's like, nah, if I tell you the dream, then you're just going to make something up. You're going to trick me. You tell me the dream, and then I'll be able to trust you uh, when you tell me what it means. And you can kind of see his point. It does feel like a bit of a scam that they just get to hear the dream and then just make stuff up. But you can also see the astrologer's point. They're like, that's impossible. We can't read your mind. What What do you expect from us? There in verse 10, there is no one on earth, no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No, but verse 28, our key verse, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So the setup to this story is is all about the futility of paganism. It's amazing how long it takes to even get to the dream. It's 29 verses before you actually get to what the dream's about. The whole start bit is... You know, what's the dream? No, uh, you tell us the dream. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, How can we know the dream then? It's like, well, I'm going to cut you to pieces. It's just like all this stuff on and on about the futility of it. They can't work it out. All these magicians and sorcerers and astrologers and all this wizardry and wisdom of Babylon and nothing. It's futile. Verse 11. What do they say? What the king asks is too difficult. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. That's true. But verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And it's worth us learning this lesson about the futility of paganism, that it doesn't work, that it doesn't help. Uh, You might be thinking, Jeff, I'm not that into paganism, Um, but you'd be surprised. There's actually lots of things in our culture that really have kind of pagan origins. People still read horoscopes because they want to know the future. They want to know if today's a day to embrace new possibilities or where I'll find love, right? People want to know. Or the little things that we do for luck. You know, we cross our fingers, we wear our lucky socks, 
And really, at, at root, that's, that's pagan. That is godless. We try to control fate through trinkets. And this passage will tell us that that's futile. It doesn't work. I try and look out for uh, little pagan things in life um, just so I can do the opposite. Right? If I set up a ladder at home, I walk under it. Don't care. <laughs> Black cat, I pat that uh, cat every time. Because I need to remind myself, I need to tell myself that magic and lucky superstitions and all this kind of stuff, they're futile. They do not work to hold the future. I don't say good luck to my kids, I say go well, I say have fun. Because it's God who holds the future. He's the one who reveals mysteries. He knows what's to come, he controls what's to come. And that's why the centre of this passage is, is really Daniel's song there, the song of praise in verse 20. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. Verse 22, He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. Paganism sits in the dark. But God brings dark things to light. And Daniel wants us to praise God because of that. So, one idea, make that, make that your trigger. Next time you hear someone talk about karma or about how the universe wanted to give them something, just quietly take a moment to praise God, the one who controls the future. It's not just random time and chance. We aren't stuck in the futility of paganism. That's the first lesson. The second lesson here is about the fragility of human power. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he is the most powerful man in the world. Uh, As you read through Daniel, every second chapter, he's executing whole chunks of people. He just has this unhindered power. And here, he's shaken completely. He's, He's actually very fragile because he doesn't control the future. In fact, he can't even understand the future when he can see a picture of it in front of his face. In contrast, uh, Daniel is a picture of calm. I don't know if you noticed that in his reaction. He, he gets the news that he's going to be cut into pieces uh, and his house turned into a pile of rubble and he doesn't freak out. Verse 14, he speaks with Arioch with wisdom and tact. He asks the king for time, he asks his friends to pray, and he asks God for help. See, Daniel's own weakness is actually his strength, because he knows that he can't work it out on his own, so he goes to God, the one uh, who he depends on, the one who does hold the future. You just see the the fragility of Nebuchadnezzar and, and all that Babylonian strength. And then when we get to the dream itself, uh, we see uh, the fragility of human power there. It's this vision of of this statue um, with various uh, parts in various metals, and each one, we're told, representing another human kingdom. But notice a couple of things. Firstly, notice how these kingdoms aren't built by political, political skill or military power. They're given by God. Verse 37... Daniel speaking to the king and he says, Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. 
Yes, Babylon is a glorious kingdom, but it has been given to Nebuchadnezzar by God. Every king, every president, every prime minister, good or bad, none of them have power outside of what God gives. And you see this uh, vision explained there in verse 39, all these different parts of the statue refer to different kingdoms that will come after Babylon. Um, And as you notice, you, you notice that each of these kingdoms passes away and a new one replaces it. You go from the gold head to the silver chest and the bronze thighs and and down they go, one to the next, down in in quality and how precious they are, none of them lasting, all of them passing on until at the end there's there's weakness baked into the the feet with the iron and the clay. Uh, Now, there's some debate over exactly which uh, kingdom in history um, is being referred to in the different parts of the statue. Um, where the Babylon is the gold head and then, you know, it's the Persian Empire that takes over from them and then the Greek Empire, they're the bronze guys and the Iron Empire refers to the Romans. That's probably the most likely timeline. But in some ways it doesn't really matter. The point is that human power is fragile, all passing away. Uh, A guy, Dale Ralph Davis has some great things to say on this chapter and he tells the story of a town in Estonia that was, that, uh, was selling its statue of Lenin. This was just a few years ago. Uh, they used to be part of the USSR, one of the, the, the largest uh, kind of dominant empires of the last century and now for $15,000 you can have a statue of Lenin in your backyard. It's probably still on eBay. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And it's worth us learning this lesson about the fragility of human power. Because we can get worried about the future, you know, about what the different human kingdoms will bring upon us. Will America go off the rails? Will uh, some country with nuclear weapons go rogue? What's going to happen in all these things? But Daniel chapter 2 reminds us that they all have an end. They all pass by like, you know, movies at the box office. They just go on and the next one replaces them. And the ultimate picture of the fragility of all these kingdoms comes right at the end, in the rock uh, that strikes the statue and ends this vision. And that's the last lesson. Point three, the finality of God's kingdom. God's the revealer of mysteries. And the thing that he wants to reveal here is that there is an eternal kingdom coming. An eternal kingdom a rock that comes and smashes all those other kingdoms and they blow away like dust. Uh, Verse 34 describes the vision. And as you read through, uh, like you can just picture it. Uh, Obviously, I can't, you can picture it. I can't quite picture it. But that's part of the, 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 the power of it, that you can see this huge statue and this rock come and take it out entirely. And it becomes a mountain, this mountain that fills the whole world. Now, in the ancient world, uh, mountains were kind of synonymous with religion. A mountain is this huge thing and it reaches up high into the heavens and so if God's going to come down anywhere, He's going to come down on a mountain like at Mount Sinai and here the mountain itself becomes, uh, fills the whole world, it becomes the picture of God's kingdom itself and the whole world becomes a place that belongs to God and comes under His reign 
And really, it's the perfect image because a mountain is the image of something that is, that's immovable, that's indestructible. In Perth, I, like, I just feel like we don't understand this, right? We live in the flattest city in the world, just sand as far as the eye can see. But if you lived somewhere that had a mountain, something really significant, I think you'd, we'd get it. That would be our picture of something eternal, something that doesn't change. And every day you'd go past and you'd look up at it and you think, that'll outlast me. And it'll outlast this corrupt government. And it'll outlast Facebook and it'll outlast universities and everything. And that's the picture. A kingdom that will last. That's the point. Look at the explanation there in verse 44. God wants us to see the finality of his kingdom. Verse 44, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. See, God's kingdom is the final, the ultimate one, the one that goes on and on. And the Bible story tells us that it's the kingdom of his son. If you read through the Bible, you reach the New Testament and you meet a man claiming to come as the king of God's kingdom, a man with authority way beyond any human government, a a totally different order of magnitude. Uh, Jesus comes as that rock that that crushes every kingdom, not by wiping them all out and, and eliminating them by force, but by defeating evil and sin itself by his death and resurrection and so doing away with all opposition to God. And once every uh, opponent of God is removed, then what's left is God's kingdom, people who bow the knee to, to King Jesus, the mountain that fills the earth. Uh, you turn to the, the New Testament and uh, there the pages talk about Jesus as the king. In his death and resurrection, he's been appointed king over everything. And that one day he'll return to establish that ultimate final kingdom forever. And it's worth seeing that for ourselves. So if you've got a Bible, uh, flick forward. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. That's in the New Testament. I'm going to guess eight-ninths of uh, the way to the back of your Bible. (laughs) Matt was tremendously helped by that instruction. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you want to go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you're there. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. This uh, chapter is talking about... um, Jesus' resurrection and how Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees our resurrection as his people and it guarantees the fact that he will be the king of God's eternal kingdom. Let's read from verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
then, that is, at Christ's return, uh, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. See, God's eternal kingdom uh, begins with the coming of Jesus into the world, with his death on the cross as he delivers the knockout blow to God's enemies. And it continues now in his resurrection and his reign at God's right hand as uh, God now brings people back to him through the message of the gospel. God's kingdom is at work now and it'll be finished at the end when he returns, when he comes to defeat death itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where Daniel 2 is pointing to the finality of the kingdom of Jesus. So what have we seen tonight? We've seen uh, the futility of paganism, the fragility of human power and the finality of God's kingdom. So what should we be taking away from all this? Uh, Well, for that, uh, we want to listen to Daniel chapter 2 and work out what Daniel chapter 2 is saying. So how does that, uh, how does Daniel 2 finish? Well, it finishes with King Nebuchadnezzar and his praise. This is what he says in verse 47. Uh, The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. So our application has to be about that. It has to be about the future. God is the one who holds the future and we're told he reveals his plans. And so we need to learn that lesson about the God who reveals the future. See, we'd love to know the future. Um, I'm sure that you would. Uh, We'd love to know, uh, will the coronavirus reach Perth? That's important. Will I pass the GAMSAT? Will I find a job? Will we fight a war in my lifetime? Will I get married? All these questions that swirl around and, and bring with it all these emotions and fears and anxieties and confusion. And we need to remember that God holds the future. He controls every single one of those things. But he hasn't revealed them. That's not what he's opened the door on to show us what's on the other side. I'm sorry to break that to you. All those things. But he has shown us something bigger. He has revealed something even more important than all those things. Something that doesn't just matter to me and you or something that matters to Australia. He's revealed something enormous that matters to all of humanity. He's revealed the mystery of what happens at the end. He's opened the door and shown us what happens. That the end is Jesus' return to establish his kingdom and to put uh, an end to death. God's eternal kingdom is the final, ultimate reality. And even though that doesn't answer our nitty-gritty questions of what's going to happen in my life next week, next year, 50 years' time, it does help now because it helps us have confidence even when we don't know the the details of our life to come. Uh, Will I pass the GAMSAT? God hasn't revealed that. But he has revealed that Jesus is the King and is returning. And so whatever I do in studying for the GAMSAT, I need to do that in a way that honours him. 
I need to live my life uh, for Him and pursue godliness in the tasks that He gives me to do, whatever the outcome, whether I pass or whether I fail. Uh, Knowing the future, knowing what God has revealed about King Jesus gives us reason for for hope and perseverance, even if there is a a recession or I can't find a job or I get sick, because we know that Jesus will return and wipe away every tear from every eye. God has revealed the future and we stand on the other side of Jesus uh, from Daniel. Uh, We know even more about God's plan for the future because we've been able to see the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and we know from God's Word that He will return. We can't uh, see the future with the same clarity as a dream like this. We can't uh, picture it but we can know the future. We can know it with confidence and that is reason to praise God, just like Daniel does, in the midst of a pagan culture that looks everywhere else for a grasp of the future, he stops and he praises the God who holds the future. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to sing a song of praise to God.